Well, welcome everybody. This is normally the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. However, today we have a little bit of a programming change. It's actually shifting to the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins sermon. And we had some unforeseen events at the local church this morning with timing, which forced me kind of what the eagle does, the mother eagle does to her baby chicks. It forces them sometimes out of the nest and kind of throws them in the air and says, fly, it's your time. So with that said, I want to welcome everyone here today to the first online sermon that I'll be doing. And I'm really happy that you found me because it's Good that you found me so I can help to edify and build up your faith in Jesus. So thank you for joining me. And you know, God blesses those and honors those who diligently seek his word and then place it into action. So if you are a longtime listener, welcome to this new format here, new on Sunday. And, you know, we find folks that there's power in the name of Jesus. So as we journey together, we unleash discoveries and we unlock some hearts that have been stony for a long, long time. And we turn them into agile, moldable clay for the potter, Jesus, to do the ultimate transformation upon that potter's wheel. And, you know, it's funny. I was looking at some of my notes trying to put together kind of a quick quick sermon that would make sense for what, what, how we're shifting and what's going on right now in the atmosphere. And I came across a note I had of a cross. And we know the cross typifies, obviously, Jesus's crucifixion at Calvary. And on this cross, think of the Father being the top or the most vertical point of the cross, the axis. And then if you go over to the left, we have the sun and then we have ourselves in the middle while at the very right hand side, we have the Holy Spirit. But you know, we must not forget that lurking at the bottom of that cross is the enemy. So we want to stay obviously in the upper quadrants of the cross. We want our strength, happiness, courage, hope, Mercy, grace, peace, joy, love, wisdom, and I'm sure you can name a whole lot more adjectives to go with the upper quadrants of the cross. So just keep that in mind that the cross says so much in addition to the crucifixion at Calvary. So with that, we're going to prepare now to enter into God's presence. And we're gonna, I'm praying for us, Father. We're asking today that this sermon is going to edify and open up the hearts of your children listening. We want to have revelation of your word and scripture to literally penetrate our ears and go deep within our hearts. So Father God, as we enter into your presence, we're doing so with thanksgiving and praise. And according to your servant David's psalm, we also pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. And Father, on Friday, we had made a case for your existence while yesterday's episode focused on the inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word of God. Well, today, we want to look deep within Scripture 
as it demonstrates that the Bible is the all-time best-selling book throughout all of the ages. This book alone holds the power to completely transform lives. But no one can make the decision to accept or reject God except for the heart of man. This is a free gift God has given all people who are made in his image. Now, it's our impatience oftentimes when God is quiet or silent that often throws us off balance. And yet his word gives us all of the answers that we need. The writing styles of the various 40 authors that we mentioned are easily distinguishable, and so are their personalities. And yet we know what they recorded was nothing short of God's word. People who are fortunate to hold a Bible in their hand are indeed holding on to something eminently more valuable than a classic literary piece. They're holding a masterpiece of great wisdom literature. And in the book of Numbers, we're introduced to a prophet for hire who was a pagan diviner. His name was Balaam, and he was only interested in personal gain. Even false prophets like Balaam are subject to God's sovereign control. Balaam was not a man of true faith. He began with pagan acts of worship, but then he abandoned them, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You see, God's word doesn't change depending on the vessel or the person it's being spoken through. The word of God is truth, no matter how or who delivers it. In the book of Judges, the children of Israel did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot who they were serving, the one true God, and began serving Baal. This made God angry. He sold them into the hand of a cushioned, doubly wicked king of Mesopotamia. The children cried out for a deliverer, and God in his mercy raised up Caleb's younger brother, Othniel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and the Lord delivered the Israelites. Now, the Trinity, or the Godhead as it's known, is difficult to interpret. Scripture does teach about three persons in one having different roles. The exact nature of these roles is not known now, but someday we will have a kingdom-level answer. The Holy Spirit does have a different assignment and work other than that of the Father and the Son. In the Old Testament, we learn of the Holy Spirit coming upon people to empower them. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit indwells us. In scripture, God's plan is attributed to the Father. Or Luke records in the book of Acts the following in chapter 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. This means that Jesus was crucified as part of the plan and the foreknowledge of God. But the people who crucified him were responsible for their actions. 
Divine sovereignty never excuses human responsibility. Jesus or the Son usually is cited as the specific agent for specific acts. Think of the beginning of creation. What then is the role and function of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to carry out God's work upon earth. Jesus, at the end of his earthly mission, returned to heaven to act as a mediator to the Father on behalf of the church. In his place, he sent the Holy Spirit to you and to me. The Old Testament records the Holy Spirit is filling an individual with wisdom and understanding or clearly being in or on an individual, causing them to be set apart or stand out in some particular manner. The person may even act in some extraordinary way. We saw the Holy Spirit operate this way with Samson and the kings in the beginning. Think of King Saul. Now Romans chapter eight, verse nine, Paul puts it like this. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Paul was exhorting to his readers to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit within their lives. The Holy Spirit aids God's children as we refuse to operate in our old patterns of carnal, sinful flesh. The Holy Spirit is every believer's hope. As believers, we are marked and sealed with God. He's given us the Holy Holy Spirit to guarantee life forever in the Father's presence. The Holy Spirit regenerates the human spirit upon conversion. And in the present age, the Holy Spirit's job is to extend Jesus's ministry throughout the church. Think of the Holy Spirit as the mediator in the New Testament who blesses God's people because of Jesus' living blood sacrifice for all who believe. He helps us to walk in God's ways. And I think that you can see that we're going to be partaking in communion at the end of this service today. And one of the greatest things about communion is that when we take it, we must be responsible to have complete forgiveness in our hearts, forgive those who have offended us. And we also must ask God to forgive us for those that we have offended when we drink and we eat Jesus's shed blood and body uh, so that we're not partaking and drinking in something that does not have complete forgiveness upon it. And that is biblical. So we learn in the gospel in Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 and 28. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Here we learn from the participle verb, gave thanks. We're being told what the word of God does, how it's placed into action. Gave thanks here is translated from the Greek Eucharistio into the English word Eucharist. Eucharist is simply another name for the Lord's Supper. Now the Holy Spirit helped men to speak forth and record the word 
and works of God. Additionally, the author's styles remain their own. The Holy Spirit carried men along in this great task. Both the apostle Peter and Paul knew that God's writings were divinely inspired. The Holy Spirit was the divine agent who enabled them to write what God had wanted written. And Paul even wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul was telling Timothy and future readers like us that the Bible in its entirety is God's final authority for life and for ministry. Because it came together via divine inspiration, we know it is 100% error-free and truthful. Yet we can believe in the truth of this divine inspiration, but we have a responsibility to act out the divine truth held within the pages of this Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to transform us. Scripture's impact is that we are made complete and thoroughly equipped to accomplish every good work laid out before us. To do this, we need to be spiritually proficient, prepared, and productive. So friends, Paul tells Timothy to continue in the things he has been taught. Timothy had known the Holy Scriptures since childhood, much like you and like I, me. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. This is important, knowing that our reading and understanding of Scripture gives us wisdom to receive salvation. It's impossible for God to lie according to the word of God. He controlled and was sovereign over all that was written. We must understand biblical doctrine so that we can test everything in life claiming to be true. Scripture equips me and you to do good works by teaching truth and then we can turn around and share it with others. So how about you? How has God's word helped you in becoming more proficient in your walk with God? Specifically, I would ask you to think and ruminate on how is scripture equipped you for good works? Knowing God's word helps us in all areas of life. For instance, Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, Moses says, The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You see, friends, the battles that we face in this life belong to the Lord. They're not our battles to fight. Even Peter agreed that Paul's teachings, and recall, Paul is the apostle who authored and penned more than two-thirds of the New Testament, Peter said that his teachings were spot on, but ignorant people confused them. 
That is a false teacher, my friend. When we as individuals learn what the word of God says for ourselves and we mature in our Christianity, taking responsibility for our own growth, no longer relying, being spoon fed from the pulpit, we can then and only then safeguard ourselves against false teachings. The result being that we will operate from a place of wisdom. When we take on this personal accountability, our integrity and seriousness will leave no area open for criticism from others. Good works have the power to silence our enemies. Good works display our faith being placed into action. Now, not all people experience opposition at the same level, but some will experience much opposition within their lives. It may be brought on by something that we did ourselves, or it may be the result of making a choice to follow in authenticity and sincerity the one true God, our creator, and be bold for him. If this is the case, God's enemy becomes our enemy, and now we are at war with a very real adversary. So don't be alarmed when these adversaries attempt to find something insidious and usable against you, even if they have to make it up. But friends, remain faithful to God. Don't cave in under pressure, for this is exactly what the enemy wants you to do. When the enemy can find no fault with us because we stayed faithful, then the only charge that can be made is that we remained faithful to God. In Paul's farewell letter given in 2 Timothy, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, friends, Paul chose to emphasize the fight, the race, the faith, which garnered God's grace. He was speaking metaphorically to us. He wasn't highlighting his accomplishments, nor himself. Paul was not boasting of any of his achievements. Paul was passing the baton of preaching the gospel onward to Timothy, his protege. He wanted to remind Timothy of the past and to point the way for godly assurances for the future. Paul demonstrated that he had grit for God, and so too should you and should me. I. We must fight through to the end when one day we will be united face to face with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So men and women, make today the day that you say yes to God's call, I would urge you to soften your hearts now. If you have not been spiritually reborn, God made it clear in his word to enter into the kingdom of heaven, a person must confess belief in his son, Jesus Christ. When we place our trust in Jesus's finished work upon that cross at Calvary, a divine exchange takes place. Jesus takes our sin, making us right with God. 
Our sin was then placed onto Jesus at his crucifixion. This is a grace gift that we can never repay back to Jesus. However, what we can do is we can show him our gratitude and our thankfulness by growing in our relationship with him. We can make efforts to obey him, deepening our connection daily. Today, friends, if this is you, respectfully, I'm issuing an edict or a challenge to you to take a bold step of faith and courage and strength by openly confessing this eternal salvation prayer after me. Father God, I'm repenting of any known sin and unknown sins in my life, meaning I'm changing my ways of thinking, acting, and plain doing life. Jesus, you're invited to be the king of the throne of my heart, taking up permanent residence. I am confessing that your shed blood washed away my past, present, and future sin upon that cross at Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you just prayed that prayer of salvation, you were saved and born again spiritually. Welcome into the kingdom of God. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And then consider joining a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with other like-minded believers who will help build up and edify your newfound faith in Jesus. Now allow me to be the first person to congratulate you on making the wisest and most important decision of your lifetime. Congratulations. And now that you have just entered into the kingdom of God and have professed and confessed belief in Jesus's son, I would welcome you to come to the communion table where we are going to take the Lord's Supper today. And again, your heart must be clear and you must have forgiveness in your heart to partake of communion. Otherwise, you are drinking and eating in an unworthy manner and we don't want to do that. However, if you just prayed the saving salvation prayer with me, welcome. You are more than welcome to take communion. So with that, we are going to start with the institution of the Lord's Supper. And I'm just going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to begin with verse 23, where it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. So come on up. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my, in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. 
And friends, remember, you have been marked and sealed with the cross of Jesus Christ forever. Until next time, God bless you.